Thanks for tuning into the ES First podcast. We'd love to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. So take a minute to hop on over and give us a like or a follow. And of course, if you're ever in Excelsior Springs, stop on by. We can't wait to welcome you home. No further ado, uh, we're going to open up to the book of John. Before our little hiatus, we were in the book of John and we'd just begun in John chapter 1. John is a gospel. It's one of the gospels. There's four gospels. They are the accounts of Jesus. So we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke kind of tell the same story from different angles. Like, you know, when you're hanging out at the game and you're trying to describe what happened and somebody goes, no, 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 that's not what happened. This is what happened. And it's not necessarily that it's any different. It's just from their side. They get to see, and then this happened, and then this happened. So they call those the synoptic gospels. John is a little bit different because it doesn't talk so much about what Jesus did, although he does include things that Jesus did. He talks about who Jesus was. He talks about who Jesus, what his mission was, where he came from. And so he doesn't start off with a genealogy. He doesn't talk about here's Jesus's lineage all the way back to the Old Testament or who his mama was, who his daddy was and what he did. He starts off with this. In the beginning was the word. It's interesting because that's the same phrase that's used at the beginning of the Bible. In the beginning, God created. And he wants you to know that God, when you're worshiping God and he's so infinite and so vast and so incredibly huge, he wants you to instill that same idea with Jesus. In the beginning was the word. And he starts talking about how the word was with God and was God. All things were created through this word. And he says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's talking about Jesus. It's that powerful who this Jesus character was. And John, he's explaining how Jesus was God, but he also was man. I would say it like this. It's interesting that Jesus would create everything with the power of his word. All systems and ecosystems were created by him. All the functions in your body were created by him. The way your voice can think of something in your head and move all the way down and come out your vocal cords and you can express yourself and your emotions, your mind, will, emotions, your intentions, all of that stuff, Jesus created that. But when Jesus came to the earth, he didn't just like, ta-da, I'm here. He came as a baby in which he couldn't talk. He couldn't manage his bodily functions. He couldn't walk. He had to go to school and learn, the Bible said. This is very interesting. And the Bible says that in Philippians chapter 2, that even though he was equal with God, he would throw all of that off. He would take off his God suit and put on earth suit, man suit, and he would grow up. And the Bible says that he grew in, in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. He was growing in life. And that's crazy to think about because sometimes we're like, oh, you know, Jesus, he's God. Yeah, he's God on earth and yeah, all this stuff. But when we think about how incredibly valuable it is to have a God who would become nothing and grow into what God wanted him to be. Now we can't really separate, you know, like Jesus would read people's minds, right? He'd be like, he could tell their thoughts, like just crazy stuff that he did under the anointing of the Holy Spirit in his ministry, he was fully God and he was fully man, but he threw it off to become this man. And the Bible says in John, it says that the book of John is written so that you would believe in Jesus, this Jesus. So he's going to paint this picture about who Jesus was and what his, his purpose and everything he did here on earth was so valuable so that you could believe on Jesus and by believing you would actually find life. 
Not just a religion, not just a cute song, not just, well, I believe in that Jesus, so get me to heaven. It's that you would have life, real life overflowing. This is what John's purpose was. And I would say this, that as John says, that Jesus was the only person who has ever seen the Father, ever known the Father face to face, and he says that he would show you, reveal to you who God was. So this whole book is purposed in that you would believe in Jesus, but he would show you who God is and who God can be in your life. In essence, Jesus is a prototype. He's a prototype of what a believer should be. Think about that. Now, it's easy to chalk up, well, you know, Jesus, he's perfect. Who can be Jesus? And you tell your spouse, you're no Jesus. You know, you say all this stuff, right? But Jesus was actually coming revealing to you who you could be if you believed in him. That's powerful to think about. And so my question is to you, are you living below this mark of Jesus? Or are you striving for being more and more like Jesus. That's the beginning of John, what we've talked about. And we're going to open up in John chapter 1 and verse 29. All right, let's talk about it. John chapter 1 and verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is speaking of John the Baptist, not John the guy who wrote this book. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said... A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Okay, John, getting all philosophical in the middle of the woods here. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. It's powerful and effective in our life. It's special in a way that no other words can be. Lots of things make us emotional, songs, poems. We see great things that are inspirational, speeches, all of those things, but none of them spark life in us like your words. Do something special in us today, in Jesus' name, amen. So I'm kind of a movie buff, and I was one of the people that, in the golden era of movies, blockbuster, okay? I would stay up till a certain point when everybody would go to bed. And then I would drive to Liberty because we didn't have a Blockbuster then. This is how committed I am to movies, okay? I would drive to Blockbuster and I would rent probably two or three movies. I would stay up till five or six in the morning watching these great golden films. And I would go back and I would watch all the greats that people are like, you need to see this film. Or if they, you know, like when you're watching like the Oscars and, and watching these award shows, when movies would come up about how great and how classic these are, I would want to watch all those films and I would want to catch up. I had a friend that did this with me and we would get lists out of, you know, magazines. That's an antiquated thing. You don't really know what magazines are, but we used to have magazines to get information and they would tell us all of the greats and we would watch them and critique them and all this stuff. And the good thing about being a movie buff is you start to follow the stories. I love a good story. 
now that the world is so overrun with movies and services and, and, you know, prime video and Netflix and all this stuff, I can't even decide what to watch. I don't want to watch anything. You just turn it off. You just flip through all the movies that are available and go, none of that sounds good. You turn it off and you go to bed and you think, man, I'd love to watch a movie, but there's nothing available, even though it's all available, right? But you're looking for a good story. And so many times I watch a movie and I'm like, I'm just not captivated by what's happening in this storyline, right? But there's great stories that have happened throughout my my life, and I could point back to the movies, like, I love this movie and this moment, and this happens here, and when they talk and they do this thing, there's something that happens in a story that makes it good. It's tension, right? If it's just a movie that starts off and everything is great all the way through, and there's no problem, there's no issue, there's nothing to be overcome, there's no tension, it doesn't make for a good movie. You have to start off with an issue, and then the whole story is about how that issue is solved, right? It's the transitions that happen with tension. It's these stories, these narratives of tension. Now, what we have here in this Jesus story could be the greatest movie of all time if somebody would commit to making it the right way. But we try to make it too nice. You know what I mean? We try to make it with vegetables and Larry and, you know, or we have the really special versions and you're like, that's not really the way it happened. I can't wait to get to heaven. In my opinion, God is going to have like supernatural moves. Like you just stand there, like the ultimate virtual reality. He's going to show you Moses, you know, let my people go. And it's not going to be Charlton Heston. The water is not going to roll away. And you're like, I see that's movie magic. It's going to be the real thing. And you'd be like, OMG, this is the greatest film I've ever seen. That's what I'm looking forward to. But these Stories of Jesus are actually creating the most massive tension you could ever imagine. Because what is happening is actually it is the middle dividing line between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is the old way of God interacting with his people. And the New Testament is the new way. Okay, but here's the deal. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are actually... Even though they're in the New Testament, they're not the new covenant. There's an old covenant and a new covenant. Now, covenant is actually a promise that's made based on the person giving it. Not like you, you promise and I'll promise and we'll promise. And if you ever break that promise, then I'm just going to go back on my word or whatever. It's actually based on the person giving it. So God bases this spiritual promise, this covenant. He has this relationship with his people. And that's the old covenant. Now, when we get into the new covenant, the new covenant happens after Jesus's death and resurrection. But here in the gospels, we have it in the New Testament, but we're not operating in the new covenant. We're operating in the old promise. So Jesus is until he dies and resurrects. I mean, we are living, he is living in this tension of there's this new thing coming, but we have this old system of operation. Let me just give you a little rundown with Adam and Eve in the garden. God interacts with them. He gives them his presence. He gives them his power. He says, just love me. And the test of his love is, will you obey me? Will you be a person who who wants to be with me? And there are these two trees and you can eat of this one all you want. It's the tree of life. There's this other tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You have the option at any time to get out of this relationship, God says. And so along comes the serpent. She tempts Eve and Adam, and then Eve eats the apple. We have Adam and Eve in this relationship. And God says, okay, I have this relationship, this promise with you, but if you don't want it, you can move outside of it. And so 
for all of what I would say protection, God puts them outside of the garden, but he's still good to them. He's still interacting with them, but it's not in the same way. It's not in the way, let me say this. It's not in the way God created it and designed it to work. It's broken because of their sin. And so Adam and Eve grow up and we have the first murder. Their kids, one kills the other. I mean, we have all this stuff. It just, it goes awry, right? It's just, it's kind of crazy. And we know that humanity is broken. Somewhere along in Genesis, God comes down and it says the angel of the Lord, which I think is Jesus. And a lot of theologians would agree with me. Jesus comes down and he meets with Abraham. And he says to Abraham, he says, would you believe me? Would you go to a land that I'll show you? Just leave your father and mother and just follow after me. And he becomes the first Jew. He's just this person who lives basically in Iraq, Ur of the Chaldeans, and he becomes the first Jew following after. And a great people come from him. If you're raised in church, we used to sing the song, Father Abraham had many sons. I am one of them and you are too. How does that happen? He is the father of the faith and God comes down, interacts with him. Okay, we have Moses. God comes and interacts with Moses, burning bush. This is glory moments. He goes and let my people go. And they go out into the desert and, and all of the Israelites are out in the desert. But Moses is still meeting with God. And he has these moments where he's in his glory, where God would come and interact with him and speak to him. And the Bible says that he would be so in the glory of God that he would come out and he would be glowing like he was like hot from radiation, except for it's God's radiation. You know, it's like, wow, you are really just, something's going on there, but it was God's glory. And the Bible says that eventually it would fade because God's glory couldn't stay with man. God's presence couldn't stay with man. It was so bright on his face, they would say, Moses, you're gonna have to wear a veil because it's too bright, we can't see it, it bothers us. So he would wear his little Taliban mask veil, not like a wedding, you know, fishnet mask, Taliban veil. And that's what he would wear. And then the Bible says that it would go away and Moses knew it went away, but he would leave it on so that people wouldn't see that the glory had left him. He wanted the glory of God so bad. And then what happens is then we have the Israelites and God gives prophets. We have people like Samuel and Elijah. We have Isaiah, Jeremiah, and we have all of these people who speak for God and God would come on them. And they would speak and it'd be powerful. It'd be the very words of God. And he would speak for the generation. And then the Holy Spirit, the glory of God would leave and they would just be regular dudes again. They would just be regular people. It was like this, God would visit and then he would have to leave. Although his design was to be ever with his people. If we think back to Adam and Eve in the garden, he wanted to be with them all the time. That was his plan. So the old covenant says that God can visit you, but he can't stay. That's the old covenant. And God made these promises. In essence, like God would animate a prophet and speak through him like a puppet, right? He would speak and then he would leave. And then the puppet was just a regular man again. I want you to think about that. That's the way God operates for thousands upon thousands of years. And now here's John the Baptist. The Bible calls John the Baptist a prophet. He's speaking for God in the wilderness. And God speaks to him and says, the one on whom the dove, the Holy Spirit, will come down like a dove and remain and sit on Jesus and remain. That's the person who will be the Messiah, God's chosen one, the anointed one. And so when that happens, John's like, I have to testify about this. This is the guy. 
This is the one we've been waiting on. How do we know it? Because it's not a visitation of the Holy Spirit. It is now a habitation. God is coming and living on this particular guy. And we're living in the tension of this is really the way God wants it, but he can't do it with everybody else because we have sinful man. Now that Jesus is sinless, God comes down and anoints him. Acts 10.38 says that Jesus went around doing good and healing all those oppressed by the devil because he was anointed by this Holy Spirit. In other words, natural man Jesus, who is thrown off all of his godness, begins to operate with God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus, perfect Trinity on the earth. He says things like this. I don't do anything except what my father wants me to do. I don't say anything except for what God is telling me to say. And when he's healing people, he's not healing people because he's this powerful Jesus, even though he could be. What's happening is he's healing people with the power of the Holy Spirit. They're operating together. And this tension in the Gospels is leading to this place of God's purest intention. He doesn't want to visit and leave. He doesn't want to come and go. He doesn't want to come and show up and be powerful in your life and then leave you to yourself to figure it out on Tuesday. What he wants to do is he wants to come and interact with you. And he gives us Jesus as this prototype, this one who will show us. The Bible says he's the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. He's the first one of everybody who will come after him. And he is going to live in his people. So this tension Jesus lives in is he's not quite to this place where the Holy Spirit can come and live. That doesn't happen until the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. It doesn't happen where God comes and lives with his people. And so what I want to tell you is this, a few things that God actually wants to live in your life the same way he lived in Jesus's life. Jesus isn't any more special when it comes to God's preference than you. Jesus has a different job, right? Bible says he's at the right hand of the Father. He's honored in a different way. But his intentions are not any different for you than it was for Jesus walking the earth. He doesn't want to do great and mighty things through Jesus and not do great and mighty things through you. How do you know that, Brandon? I know that because you're still here. Otherwise, it'd be like, dear Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I want to be in heaven with you. You'd be in heaven. But for some reason, God left you here. Why? He left you here to carry on the work that he wants to do. He wants to inhabit the people who are his. He wants to live among you. Now, I never had a roommate, okay? But I did have a brother. You know what I mean? Like, I never, like, got a, an apartment and was, like, making money off all my friends. Like, yeah, you can live in the third bedroom. Oh, yeah, I got a closet you can live in. It wasn't that way because I don't like people to come and inhabit my space. You know what I mean? It's like, this is my space. My brother Johnny, by default, my mother had Johnny, and so I had to make him my, my roommate most of my life. He wore my clothes, stole my money. True story. Like I would have all this change in dollars. I would, young 20 year old just laying out and I would hear Johnny come in and like digging through my money. Like, what are you doing? He's like, I just need some money for donuts at school. You know, (laughs) okay, man. But have you ever had people come over to your house and you know, you're having a dinner party and like, there's two types of people, people that just like let people linger as long as they want to and hope that they leave. And there's people like it's over at 9 p.m. 
my sister might be a 9 p.m. person, you know, just so you go to her house. It's not you, it's everybody. She kicks out at 9 p.m. They finally go and you're like, ah, close the door and you sit on the couch or chair and you go, that was nice. Just so nice to sit down and relax, right? That was nice to have them here, but it's nice to just be us again. Nice to take your shoes off. Nice to just let your hair down. Nice to get in your pajamas and crawl into bed and surf through Netflix's shows and not choose a single one and then go to sleep. That's the difference in visitation and habitation. What happens in visitation is not habitation because they're not the same thing. Not even close, actually. You get to send them away and go back to your normal life. But when you have habitation, everything changes. You have to learn how to exist together. All of the things begin to change when someone inhabits your life. Okay. So when God is visiting people in the Old Testament, he had like all these rules, like you need to do this, you need to do that. He would say things like consecrate yourself because in three days I'm going to come down and talk to you. And you just had to like figure it out like you didn't. You didn't eat certain things. You didn't touch certain things. You didn't have sex with your wife or your husband. You didn't, you didn't do any of that. It was consecration so that you could be prepared to talk to God. Now God is coming down and he wants to inhabit your life. So the difference is you don't get to just open up, come on in, let's have some dinner. Oh, it's so great to be with you. And they're like, ah, that was nice. Let's go back to just letting our hair down and live in life the way we want to. What he is actually saying is, I want to come in and change your life. I want to come in and mix things up because there's some stuff in your life that's just broken. Some stuff you don't even see. You walk in, you're like, hey, this wall's not painted. And you're like, I meant to paint that four years ago, but I got kind of busy. You know, it needs some mud work. That's why I haven't painted it because I could just paint it. It would take like 15 minutes, but it needs mud work. I don't like it. And I want to replace the trim. And it's going to take some work. And if I had about $10,000, he's like, yeah, let's just go ahead and take care of that now. And in your life, it's inhabitation. And when he inhabits your life, he's going to come in and be like, hey, I noticed you're kind of bitter when their name comes up. And you're like, hey, well, you know, it's like, it was like five years ago. And I just, you know, I got busy. I mean, it was a really big deal then. And I drank for two months about it. I text them and it was bad. And we're cool now when we see each other, but you know, it just still kind of hurts. And he's like, yeah, let's work on that. You know, I noticed that you're not as loving as you used to be when it comes to others. You used to be so kind and generous and well, something happened. I got taken advantage of and there's these moments and isn't it time for you to go? He just comes in and starts working on things and places in your life because now he's not just visiting He's inhabiting. It's not just a list of rules. It's a relationship. And this relationship requires some shifting and adjusting. I would say that if God were to come into you, like you invite God into your life. Hey, come on in. Like, why don't you just live here? I want you to live in me, in my heart. And you're like, why don't you just, you know, whatever you want, God, is what I want. I want to just be where you are. If you could do anything, do some miracles, signs and wonders, make some things happen, that would be great. And God just comes into your life and he's like, yeah, I got a wrecking ball coming in. They're taking that wall out. He's like swinging in. And what you wanted God to like paint some things and make it pretty. You wanted God to clean up some areas of your life and he's got a complete reno. 
He's like, I'm going to take this wall out. We're going to do this. We're going to build nine bedrooms on the top. He starts moving things. He starts putting in the, the highest finishes and furnishings. And he starts looking into your heart and your desires. And he starts making room for the things that he's placed in you. He's like, I got some dreams and goals. And this, this place isn't going to do it. We're going to have to change some things. And you're like, why are you doing this? I thought you were just going to make it better and sweeter and nicer. He's like, no, I have a whole other thing in mind because I'm not just visiting. I intend to live here. Habitation. So Jesus is the first one who the Spirit comes on and remains. He's living with Jesus. That's how Jesus can say, I don't do anything except for the Father who wants me to do. That he would look at somebody and know that they had the faith to be healed. Why? Because he was interacting with the Father. That the Spirit of God would perform miracles and power. This is it. And this is what the Bible says. Second Corinthians verse says this. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. Set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. It's as if God was saying, you know what? I don't want to go through that garden of Eden thing ever again. I'll give you the option. You can walk away. It's fine. I'm going to put my spirit in you. I'm not just going to come down and live with you. I'm going to put it inside of you living, growing, doing something. And how am I to do it? It's from Jesus, the anointed one. Jesus is the one who anoints us. He anoints us. And the Bible says, John says, the Holy Spirit will come down and remain on Jesus. And he is the one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, fill you with this Holy Spirit. It's going to move from this tension of nobody knows how to interact with God, everything, the Old Testament and rules and regulations. And Jesus is going to die and it's going to be bitter and you're going to mourn and he's going to resurrect. And then you're going to be like, whoa, that's special. And then he's going to anoint you with the same Holy Spirit. You know, one of the first things Jesus did after he found his disciples, we always talk about Jesus showed Thomas his nail scars and see my scars, stick your hand right here. Isn't that so sweet? Jesus walked through walls. That's, that's what the Bible says he did. We always talk about that story. But the first thing he did is he walked in, he looked at Peter and breathed in his face and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Why? Because now he had the power to give it. And when you receive Jesus into your life, you say, I want to follow you. I want to give my life to you. And it's not just some kind of little prayer that you get a ticket to heaven, even though you get to go to heaven. It's not just a little prayer that you get to like, I praise God, my shame and my guilt are gone. I'm forgiven my sins. It's not that. It's that he comes in and he lives in you with the same spirit that anointed him, he anoints you with. That's what I want. So check this out. First John a little short verse. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you. Isn't it funny when you read the Bible, you think how great it would be to be like Moses. How great it would be to, like, to be like Elijah. Elijah prays and fire comes down from heaven. The Bible says that Elijah prayed and the rain stopped until he said it would rain again. Think about it, that's powerful. Man, if I could do that, man, I would cure COVID. I would, 
I would run around and, and take care of people's problems and take care of their issues and bring people back. I could do amazing things if I were just like Elijah. How did Elijah do it? Was he special? As a matter of fact, James says that Elijah was a man, just a regular person, just like you and me. He did it with the power of the Holy Spirit that came and went. Jesus did it with the Holy Spirit that came and stayed, remained in him. The Bible says, as for you, the Holy Spirit is in you and remains in you. Now, that's kind of tough because I'm taking a look at my life. If I write down a list of things, check them off, X's and O's, pros and cons, I would probably say my life isn't as much like Jesus as I would want it to be. We could probably walk through our lives, the houses of our life and say, this isn't finished. That's not done. This is broken. This is where I'm hurt. We actually make a religion. Out of all of these things that we have in our life, prayer is considered taking your requests to God. I wonder if Adam, when he prayed to God, just went through and was like, you know what? The woman you gave me, she's driving me nuts. and My boss is crazy. Oh, that's you. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's just really hard naming all these animals. You know what I mean? It's like a lot, God. I don't know if I could. I don't think that was his prayer life. I think it was God walking with Adam and just pouring into him who he was, what Adam was like at his soul level, who God wanted him to be, his intentions from that's relationship, it's habitation. But you know, when someone visits, it's like, okay, well, I got you here. <laughs> There's a few things that I just want you to know. Okay, sit down a second. And if it, like me and my sister are working together, it's like, oh yeah, I didn't see, I didn't tell you at two o'clock today when I was with you, but later on, I just wanted to make sure I got you here on the line. We also need to, usually it's her telling me what to do. Just kidding. She's not that much of a control freak. I'm actually more of a control freak. I just let her think that she's in control. It's true. When it comes to visitation, you have somebody for a moment and you want to get it all done. You want to tell them and you want to make sure that you have these moments and you have these things. It's like, but what if, what if you have a lifetime of togetherness, of never separated? What do you talk about? What do you think about? Who will you become? This is what God's intentions are. So all across the Bible, he's giving you these hints of before I formed you in the mother's womb, I knew you. That I knit you together every five. How vast are the thoughts that I think about you? That I have plans for you. I, I know them and I have them. They're mine. I have plans for you. And they're sweet. They're for a future and a hope, not to harm you, but to bless you and to keep you and to prosper you. And this is the things that God is saying. But it's so easy for us to think visitation instead of 
habitation. Come and live in me, God. Live in me. Remain in me. Remain in me. That's our desire. So this is the, the great tension right here. Okay, Matthew eleven, eleven. This is another account. This is Matthew's account about John the Baptist. And he says a couple things here. John the Baptist is actually, you know, I mean, he does all this great stuff and he's phenomenal. And my dad preached a sermon about live the John the Baptist kind of life. And John the Baptist was, was really great. And then he ends up in prison. You can imagine thinking, wow, I'm the one who looked at Jesus and said, that's the guy. Nobody else recognized him. I recognized him. How big maybe John the Baptist's head would have gotten. Like, wow, great things are happening. God's going to set up his kingdom and it's, it, everything's going to change. And John the Baptist ends up in prison where he ultimately gets beheaded because some little servant girl dancer on Herod's team came in and he liked the way she danced. Listen to this. He liked the way she danced. And he said, you dance so good, I'll give you anything you want. She walked up and said, I want John the Baptist's head. Herod had him in prison, so he went and cut John the Baptist's head off and came and gave it to the girl. That's how invaluable it felt for John the Baptist to be a great prophet, but to give his life. So he's in prison and he sends a couple of his disciples, his students, his pupils, to Jesus. He's out in the middle of nowhere. And John's starting to have like these second thoughts. And he goes, hey, will you go and ask Jesus? Will you go ask him? Are you the, really the one we're looking for or should we be looking for somebody else? John the Baptist went from, that's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the chosen one to, are you really the one? And Jesus goes, you go back and tell John the Baptist, the deaf hear, the blind see, the lame walk, the dead are living. You tell him that. And that's it. Jesus didn't say, of course I am. John, you know me. Come on. He didn't go pay him a visit in prison. He didn't do any of that. He just sent this, this crazy little message that was encrypted with the power that John needed to trust Jesus again. And after his disciples went away, this is what John the Baptist says to everybody else. So he's like having church. He's talking to people. People go, hey, hey, I need to talk to you. And he's like, what? And like, are you the one John the Baptist wants to know? No, 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 no. He sends them away and he turns back to everybody else and he says this. Here we go. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. He didn't tell John this. He tells everybody else this. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of, of heaven has been subject to violence. And the violent people have been raiding it for the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Now, if you know anything about Jewish culture, every year during Passover, a little kid opens the door to see if Elijah is there. Open the door. Is it Elijah? No, it's not. They play a game about seeking for Elijah because they think Elijah is so powerful. He'd be coming again for Jesus' second coming. And he says, John the Baptist is Elijah, if you'll accept that. But this is what he says up top. I tell you, among those women, not 
one person in all of history is greater than John the Baptist. And he starts talking about what I'm telling you today, the old covenant and the new covenant. He says all the law and the prophets, all of them up until John have been prophesying about me. Everything has been happening for me for this moment, for this shift from visitation to habitation. And we're living in this tension. He even starts to describe it as violence. The theologians and people have been trying to explain that. And the best we can get to is that the kingdom has been railed against and raided by the darkness. But in this new covenant comes something that is so special. And along comes these people that they get to move from visitation to habitation. And they're just few and far between. And John the Baptist is one of those people. It's like he lives in one realm, but he can press into another realm and he gets to experience God in a new way. But this is the part that gets me. Nobody's greater than John the Baptist. But he says, yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And if you really study this out and look at it, in the actual, what he's saying, it sounds like he's saying like, oh, everybody in heaven, but God is talking about the kingdom of heaven, this new habitation moments, the place where you and I live. What Jesus is really saying is in the, all the law and the prophets, John the Baptist is the greatest. But in this new dispensation, in the way that I'm going to work from now on, this kingdom of heaven has come near you, alive in your life. You could be the least. You could be the sitting on your couch, eating potato chips, doing nothing for Jesus, never give anything, never work for God, never tell your kids about Jesus. But if you just believe in Jesus, you're just the bottom of the totem pole Christian. You're greater than John the Baptist. How can that happen? Because you have something that nobody else before John the Baptist has ever had. The Holy Ghost living in you. Doing something in you every second of every day. Moving in your life. Speaking to you. Transforming to you. Growing you in ways that you have never even imagined. The Bible says that you can't even imagine, think about any of it. Because it is according to the power of God at work in you. What does that mean? That it's according to God's vision and plan for your life. And it is greater than anything you could ever concoct. You can't look at enough Instagram stories and figure out all your dreams that God has for you. You can't write down enough goals and make enough dream boards. You can't figure it out because the spirit of God in you is so much bigger. And greater than all of that, he is doing something in you. And Jesus paid the price in this great story, this great movie that we're writing right here in this room. You're living in a tension. You've been living in this tension of, I've got a problem. I don't know how to fix it. What's going to happen? I'm drowning out here in this thing. I got issues. What's going to happen to my future? What's going to happen to my children? Where are we going to go from here? What's gonna... It's this tension that's constantly happening. But the difference is you haven't read the story. The story is the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and remains. 
my dad's last sermon was live a John the Baptist kind of life. I can't think of a better sermon for my dad to preach. I can't think of a better one. Lead people to Jesus. Tell them about Jesus. That was my dad's life. And I'm here to tell you that you should do that. Phenomenal. I'm here to tell you that what God wants for you is to empower you to be greater than John the Baptist. How does that happen? How can I do it? I don't, I don't know. It's this Holy Spirit in you. But you've been living in the tension of acting like he's just visiting. How many times do we say, God, come. God, come. Would you just come? God, could you just help me? Would you just show up and do something? I'm just so broken. I'm just so lost. And I can't think of a time my son has ever walked into my room and said, Dad, could you just do something and just, you know, maybe come and he's like, hey, Dad, want to play some Fortnite? Why? Because I'm present. I'm there. It's just relationship. And if you'd start looking at God as present, living, if you start letting him make some changes that you've been just pushing against him for too long on, if you just let him kind of renovate places in your life that you're trying to hold on to, that this Holy Spirit power could transform everything in your life. People text me and say, how are you doing? And I, all I can say is great. You know? I'm like, yeah, I miss my dad. Yeah, I mean, I cry. I cry more than anybody else. Maybe not Josh. But me and Josh cry a lot together. But the presence of God in our lives is just so phenomenal. The presence of God in your life is just phenomenal. If you become aware of it. God is like, in the Old Testament, he's trying to get the Israelites. <laughs> One place he goes, he says, I am doing a new thing. And then it's the same he goes, can't you see it? And I wonder if every time you walk into God and you're like, God, I just can't, I can't even, you know, or whoever you talk to, you talk to your wife, but really you stopped talking to Jesus years ago. You stopped living with Jesus in his power, in his provision, in his glory to live this sob story of visitation when Jesus has paid everything so that you could live in God's presence. There's no reason, there's no reason for you to live below God's best for you. That means in everything, in every single thing. Here's the point. The tension has to change. You have to move into a new covenant. 
And the Bible says you don't have to work for it. God actually promises on himself. I swear by me. I swear to God. His covenant is a promise to you to never leave you, never forsake you, to be with you, to empower you. That's it. But you have to live in it. You have to live in it. You have to decide to live in it. Habitation, come in. I'll make room for you. I'll I'll take time for you. We can talk and I'll turn my heart towards you. It's habitation. You're here. You can have it all. Would you be that kind of person who invites the Holy Spirit to remain in them and on them and make a commitment to living with the Holy Spirit and not just ask him to bail you out? Not just ask him to visit and make me have goosebumps and sing my song, my jam is so good. But to really live with the Holy Ghost. Could you bow your heads where you are? Say, Brandon, that's me. I, I want to live that kind of life. I want to live that kind of life. It's got to be something different because what's been happening is not working for me. And I think it's that I've been asking God to come and I haven't been asking him to stay. Today, if you just say, I want to invite the Holy Spirit to come and stay in my life. Come and stay on me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Holy Spirit of God, drench us in your love. Do something phenomenal in your people. Let it be different. My favorite testimony is the woman who said, I walked out and the concrete looked different. My God, my life is changing. Holy Spirit, do something in me. Make it Make me special the way you designed me. Do something in my heart that only you can do. Help me to transform those around me. Help me to be aware that your conversation is always happening. You're always talking to me. You're always interacting. You don't want to come and go. You want to stay. It's me that's been coming and going. And I'll be aware of your presence in a special way special way I want every move that I make to be made with you in mind I want you to stay remain in me God do great and mighty things in my life for my life for those around me for generations to come let it be marked with your power and your presence in Jesus name amen give God a big praise today